Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Kathy Rikes, and she's just published a new book, a true crime novel titled Cold, Cold Bones. And right now, it has over a 1,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. It's in the top 1,500 books on Kindle. And uh, it's one of its 21 books about the character Temperance Brennan. And uh, it, she has a lot of her background. So I'm going to read a little bit about her bio and some of the other book titles. Her first book, Deja Dead, catapulted her to fame when it became a New York Times bestseller and won the 1997 Ellis Award for Best First Novel. And then she has many, many titles based upon that first book, Break No Bones, Bones to Ashes, Devil Bones, 206 Bones, etc., etc. And in addition, she co-authors the Virals Young Adult Series with their son, Brendan Reichs. The best-selling titles are Virals, Seizure, Code, Exposure, and Terminal, along with two Virals, e-novella, Shift and Swipe. These books follow the adventures of Temperance Brennan's great-niece, Tori Brennan. Dr. Reichs is also a producer of the hit Fox TV series Bones, which is based on her work and her novels. From teaching FBI agents how to detect and recover human remains to separating and identifying commingled body parts in her Montreal lab, as a forensic anthropologist, Kathy Reichs has brought her own dramatic work experience to her mesmerizing forensic thrillers. For years, she consulted to the office of the chief medical examiner in North Carolina and con continues to do so for the Laboratoire de Science Judiciaires et de Médecine Légale for the province of Quebec. Dr. Reichs has traveled to Rwanda to testify at the UN Tribunal on Genocide and help exhume mass, a mass grave in Guatemala. As part of her work at JPAC, she aided in the identification of war dead from World War II, Korea, and Southeast Asia. Dr. Reichs also assisted with identifying remains found at Ground Zero of the World Trade Center following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. She is one of only 100 forensic anthropologists ever certified by the American Board of Forensic Anthropology, and she has served on the board of directors and as vice president of both the American Academy of Forensic Sciences and the American Board of Forensic Anthropology, and is currently a member of the National Police Services Advisory Council in Canada. She's a professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. She's a native of Chicago, where she received her PhD at Northwestern, and she now divides her time between Charlotte, North Carolina, and Montreal, Quebec. So, Dr. Kathy Reichs, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. So, for people who may not have heard your books, it's this whole series started back in 1997. Can you talk about your career and what led you to write your first, first book? Oh, goodness. A couple of things came together back in the mid-90s, I guess, early 90s. Um, I made full professor at the university, which is the, <clears throat> excuse me, highest rank you can attain. So I was free to try something new if I wanted. And I had just worked on a serial murder case in Montreal. So I had freedom to do something new and a story idea. And I just had a sense that forensics was in the air, that people were beginning to take an interest in it. Um, for decades, we'd worked in our labs and no one had paid any attention to us. And um, anyway, so those things came together and um, I created Temperance Brennan and wrote uh, Deja Dead, which was the first book in the series. Yeah. And I mean, you've had 21 books and you really uh, wrote that wave of really interest in true crime and this forensic anthropology. Can you talk about how your particular uh, field has influenced these books? 
leading up to cold, cold bones? Oh, well, um, they say write about what you know about. So it just made sense for me to write about bones and a forensic anthropologist. As I said, no one had ever heard of us back then, I don't think. So um, I think now they have as a result of the show and as a result of the books. I think the appeal of the character is that she's um, she's tough and she's smart and she practices a rather narrow little niche kind of specialty science. And she's a, she's a female, strong woman, and but she's not perfect. She's got flaws. And um, so I think that was a good combination for a protagonist. And uh, so you've kept with this, and you really kind of entered into, from your first book to the current, really rarefied era with people mentioning this book as uh, Harlan Coben, Patterson, Connolly. What does it feel like to be recognized in that kind of elite true crime writer group? Well, it feels great. Um, it's hard work. Uh, you have to really, you know, put your, your heart and your soul into writing. And uh, for me, it's very important that not only the, the bottom line is to write a good story. Obviously, I write murder mysteries, but the difference is they are the solutions are driven by science. So in each book, I'm committed to having that science be accurate, but without having it be burdensome and being feeling like the reader is right reading a textbook right so you're definitely being informed and can you talk maybe about some of the um i know you've traveled around the world to do forensic anthropology can you talk about some of those uh journeys that you took to kind of discover you know people who had been been killed or murdered well, I, I was always invited to come um, I, for the 9-11, for the Twin Towers. I, for decades, was a member of the DMORT, Disaster Mortuary Operational Response Teams system. And that's a system of uh, responders in situations of mass fatality. So following the Twin Towers disaster, I was deployed there with you could teams couldn't really go because you couldn't get there. Um, you couldn't rent a car. You couldn't fly, obviously. So the first people that could get there were the first wave that that went in. So I went there as a result of that. I went to Guatemala to exhume the mass grave with a gentleman named Clyde Snow, who's probably the founding father of forensic anthropology within the arena of human rights. And he's committed to was committed sadly he's he's died to you know finding people victims and getting them back to their families particularly victims of um you know political uh, assassinations or whatever so anytime i went anywhere uh, one of the books is based on my experience in afghanistan because i went there as part of a uso team five authors uh, went just to thank our troops for their service. So anytime I take my character into a different place or a different setting, whether it's she's gone to Israel, she's gone to Guatemala, she's gone to Afghanistan, um, she's gone to the maritime provinces in Canada, she's gone to Yellowknife way up in the Northwest Territories. It's always because I've, I've been there. I won't write about a place that I haven't visited and um, gotten the feel of. Right. I mean, so your back, your real life backgrounds influenced these books and this uh, hit Fox TV series Bones. Can you talk about what that was like putting that together and how writing that uh, came from your background? Yeah, I was approached by a number of different um, 
entities and it just never felt right and then i was approached uh by so sometime what was it around 2012 uh, 2005, I guess, by Hart Hansen, and, who came to be our showrunner, and Barry Josephson. And we, I, I just felt like we were all on the same page. We wanted a character-based show. We wanted um, to put humor into the show, which I do with the books. And that's a real tough call when you're dealing with violent death every episode or every um, book. Um, and so we just, we just were, we had the same vision for the show. So I agreed to option my character to them. And um, well, the rest is history. We were on for 12 years. We were the longest running scripted. We still are the longest running scripted drama in the history of Fox. Wow, that's amazing. That's a great achievement. And I mean, it's that the you guys captured that whole kind of CSI bones effect, really. The public's very interested, right? I mean, what's yeah. it like being kind of a figure in that? And the public's uh, interesting. We did strive to keep it accurate. Uh, plausible is a, a word we used a lot in the writer's room, but you take a few more liberties for the magic of television, I guess you would call it. But we didn't want to just be another police procedural. And we wanted people to really become engaged with, with these characters. And um, yeah, we never had our you know main character go to a crime scene in pants and I mean pumps and pantyhose or anything like that we did try to keep it accurate of course there's always the the fact that every crime gets solved by the end of you know 52 minutes or whatever we have on air which is not completely accurate the other way it differs is that when I do forensic anthropology cases I might go to the to the body recovery scene I work with the detective that way, but I don't go out interviewing witnesses and doing a lot of the investigative work, such as the character does in the books and on the TV show. Gotcha. And can you talk about maybe some of the you know fam more famous cases? You talked at the intro of our talk about a serial killing case in Canada. Can you talk maybe about some of the real life experiences you've, you've had as a forensic anthropologist? Wow, that would take <clears throat> another two and a half hours, I think. Okay. Uh, that particular case was a serial murder case. Uh, he's doing three life sentences right now. I never use anything that isn't out there. It's either been in the media or it's in court records, transcripts of, of the trial. And that's certainly true of this gentleman. Um, what was interesting in this case is that he dismembered a victim two years earlier, had uh, buried her in five different locations. So when we got that, when he was arrested for subsequent murders, he admitted to that. So I was involved in that case. And um, the ID was largely dental because we knew who it was supposed to be. So we could pull dental records. But what I looked at were the, the marks on the skeleton from the, the manner in which he, he cut the victim up. And it was, it was unusual. And um, that was a clue that uh, was pretty good telling testimony at his trial. Gotcha. And did do you and so much of some of your real life research goes into these trials? Are you have you been an expert witness as well in trials? Yes, I have. Okay. Yes. Never been my favorite part of the job, but it's part of the job when you accept a case. If it's a criminal case and not everything that comes through my lab is a criminal case, it might be a skeleton because an 
elderly person wandered off five years ago and their bones have just been found in the woods or something. No criminal activity. But if it is a criminal case and if someone is arrested and goes to trial, then you will be expected to to testify whatever you found. You know, it doesn't matter if it helps the defense or the prosecution. You're a scientist and you present the evidence you observed. And how did you kind of end up uh, spending your time between Montreal and North Carolina? Oh, gosh. Um, I <laughs> Somewhere back, <clears throat> I, I decided that an educated person, person should speak French. So I took a French 101 class. It was very humbling with my students. <laughs> Je m'appelle, Kathy. And shortly after that, an offer came through at a faculty meeting for something called NFE, National Faculty Exchange. It's a program in which a a professor from one institution basically changes places with a professor from another institution. So there was a gentleman in Montreal at Concordia University who wanted to come to my home university in North Carolina. So I thought, you know, may we? <laughs> I speak French, having had one whole course in it. So I applied and I went and I taught that year at McGill and at Concordia and the lab wanted someone who was board certified, the forensic lab, and could work in French. So um, I started working there then. And at the end of that year, we just figured out a way whereby I would commute back and forth. I'd go up there one week out of every six or eight, something like that. So... Yeah, you've gotten a little bit of the Francophile world. And getting back to this book, Cold, Cold Bones, can you talk about how does the book start and how does the, the kind of narrative begin? Yeah, this is one of my favorite opening lines of all my books. <clears throat> the opening line is, it began with an eyeball. And that's exactly what happens. Um, uh, Tempe is in a pretty good place because Katie has retired from the military and she has decided to move back to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is Tempe's hometown. And Tempe is helping her unpack boxes and move into her new home. At the end of the day, they go back to Tempe's house and they find the last thing they want to see, a box on her back porch. So they take it inside and open it. And inside is a quite fresh human eyeball. And Katie, it turns out, has extraordinary vision. So using a magnifying glass, she's able to read on the side of the eyeball, there are incised GPS coordinates. So of course our intrepid heroine has to follow those. They take her to a Benedictine monastery where she discovers another, what should I say, just another rather macabre um, item. Shortly thereafter, her boss, the, the medical examiner, sends her out to collect a body from a state park. It's a mummified corpse hanging from a tree, an apparent suicide. And I've had a number of those over the years. But something is beginning to tell Tempe, mm, these seem to be unrelated, random cases, but something is linking these cases. And eventually she realizes that what's going on is there's a copycat killer. There's somewhere, someone out there targeting her and mimicking cases from earlier in her career. So that's how it starts. And these, uh, what you, these, your books are all available. There's 21. They're all available on Amazon. They all have audiobooks too, right? So people could. Yeah, they're. They're out there wherever you can buy, wherever fine books are sold. Um, plus, they're in audiobook, they're in ebook, um, they're in large uh, for the for the visually impaired, large print editions. They're 
and in many, many different languages. <laughs> so. Right. You've got that. And so you also have kind of, it's not just Tempe, it's also, there's other characters in this book as well, right? Her. Yeah. Her. Um, her, her boyfriend, I guess you'd call him, Andrew Ryan, has retired from being a detective with the provincial police in Quebec. And he's off on a case. He's down in the Caribbean tra tracking down a stolen sailboat or something. But also retired in Charlotte is a homicide detective who's one of my favorite characters in the whole series, <clears throat> Skinny Slidell. So Skinny gets involved with Tempe at first reluctantly because that's how he is. He's, he's a bit of a grump. But he suspects that some of these old cases, these cases that are turning up might be related to some of his cold cases. So in this book, Tempe is working with Skinny Slidell in, um, in trying to figure out who's targeting her and shut it down. Did I lose you? Sorry, I had you on mute. The, uh, so there's multiple characters. This is your 21st book. Do you think you have more books in the future on the way or? Is yeah. This Am I going to write more Temperance Brennan? Um, that's I'm thinking about. I'm, I am currently right now writing book number twenty-two, which will be called The Bone Hacker. That'll be out in August of twenty twenty-three. I think is the projected date for that one. But that's the last book on my current contract, so I have to think about if I'm going to sign another contract, and if so, will it be for Temperance Brennan books or perhaps for something different? And who's, who's your current publisher? Scribner, which is Simon & Schuster. And it's Simon & Schuster uh, throughout the whole English-speaking world. Gotcha. And was that who published your first book? Scribner. So, Scribner. So you've been with them for 21 years. Actually, I left briefly. I went to Random House and for, I don't know, three or four books, I forget. And then I came back. That's amazing that you've been able to put out 21 books since 1997. It's really incredible. With well, it, there are also the, uh, sub, the young adult books, the virals books as well. My son and I did six of those. And what what's the uh, what what is the subject of those books, the virals books? Um, the main character is Temperance Brennan's 14 year old niece, Temp uh, Tori Brennan. We I used to get questions at my public events, like people would ask me, is it okay if my daughter reads your Temperance Brennan books? And I'd say, well, how old is she? And they'd say seven. And I'd say, no, it really isn't. But there seemed to be interest among kids also in forensics at a, at a less complex level. So we thought, well, my son had practiced law for two years and he really was not enjoying it. So he proposed that um, instead he and I write this series together and we also wanted to create a, a strong female protagonist who would appeal to show young women that science is cool and, uh, you know, appeal to make the STEM subjects appealing to them. So it's Tori Brennan. She's 14. Her friends are 14, 15, 16. Her and her three best friends are boys. And they kind of solve cold cases and pursue mysteries at a middle school, high school level. Interesting. Wow. And so those are, those are also well-received books too. I mean, I see that there's, 
You're, you have tons of five-star ratings. All your books actually have five-star ratings, including this one. Good to so. know. I can't believe you actually went in and counted them. <laughs> well, you know, you, it's easy from Amazon. They give you a lot of insights. So, okay. Uh, okay. Where's the best place to get cold, cold buns? Do you have Amazon or what do you recommend? Well, of course, I always support, say, support your independent bookstores. So, Every town should probably has an independent bookstore, but if not, you can get them at Barnes and Noble, I guess is the only game in town anymore for, a, you know, an actual physical books chain bookstore. And then yeah, online, of course, you can get them through Amazon and you through my website. I think we have kathyreichs.com. I think we have links that'll take you over and you can purchase them that way. Right. And your website also has kind of your social media links and things like that. Instagram. Yeah. Twitter. Instagram, Twitter. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> Facebook, all of those. And we all also have sections for students. For example, I get a lot of questions from students who are thinking of going to university and studying forensics um, or have finished university and are looking for a graduate program. So there's lots of information like that out there. So you can see that. And uh, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap this up about uh, the discussion about cold, cold bones? Well, I hope they enjoy this one. I thought what would be fun, especially for my return readers, is that Tempe is visiting these old cases. So the reader can not only do what thriller readers do, try to solve the mystery, but also they can try to figure out, well, which of these cases, which of these books is she drawing on? to create cold, cold bones. So I thought my return readers might enjoy that. And also new readers, it might give them a sense of what the, the series is all about. Right, and thanks so much for your time. Again, the author's name is Kathy Reichs, last name is spelled R-E-I-C-H-S, and the new book is Cold, Cold Bones. And I will put a link to her website in the show notes for everybody. So Kathy Reichs, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, take care. All right, stay there, stay there.